23-year-old Katerina was living with her boyfriend in Mariupol, a city of 120,000 people in southern Ukraine, in the spring of 2022 when the Russian invasion began. Quickly, Russian troops surrounded the city and blocked evacuation routes preventing people from getting back into Ukraine. The only permitted exit was toward Russia-controlled territories. Katarina and her boyfriend accepted the only option they had was to accept this deportation. They packed a small bag and took their cat before boarding a bus to a city within Russia just on the other side of the Ukraine border. It really was their only means of survival, becoming captives in the aggressor's country. When they arrived, they underwent an eight-hour interrogation. Their phones were seized and scrutinized, and they were asked for names and contact information of people they knew. Russian staff told them they should move to Nizhny Novgorod, a city just east of Moscow, where more settlement options would be made available. Their Ukrainian money couldn't be exchanged for Russian rubles. Their credit cards were not accepted, and they couldn't find any work. They were hungry, alone, and no one was helping. Fortunately, Katarina had distant relatives who lived in Russia. She was able to contact them, and they provided her with enough money to reach the Estonian border, where once again they were interrogated by Russian officials, but allowed to cross into EU territory. Katarina, her boyfriend, and their cat. According to the Global Conflict Tracker, As of February 2024, the Russian invasion of Ukraine has seen nearly 10,000 civilians killed, another 18,000 injured. Five million people have been displaced, and over six million people have fled Ukraine. Ukraine has received $350 billion in aid, including $77 billion from the United States. There are voices now in the Western world beginning to say, maybe that's about enough and Ukraine should broker a peace deal with Russia and cede territory. With that sentiment growing from a murmur to a very audible voice, the conversation and the PR efforts that go with them has changed. This episode isn't about the conflict, but the intricate web of human communication that has spawned. Today on Stories and Strategies, the Ukrainian PR Army. My name is Doug Downs. My guest this week is Julia Petrick, joining today from Kiev, Ukraine. Hi, Julia. Hi, Doug. Happy to be here. And how are things in Kiev tonight? Uh, it's more or less um, safe right now as we don't have air raid uh, attack. But from time to time, we hear air raid alarm that it can become dangerous, so we need to think uh, about the nearest shelter. Or if you are on the way, you need to uh, figure out how to get home or whether to take some break on your journey and find the nearest shelter and um, uh, go back when it's over. And does it like does it become normal? At any point for you, like, is it, we have a tendency to normalize things as humans. Do you accept that as part of your day, your night? 
in a way, yeah, we need to figure out how to uh, combine and how to live under that. Um, we are joking, war-life-work balance. So it's not about just uh, life and work, but war is definitely present in any possible ways in our life. So it's it's becoming kind of normal, but I'm always saying that we normalized, I mean, the world normalized something that just can be normalized. Cannot be, yeah. Cannot. So Julia, just quickly touching on your comms background, you have more than 10 years experience in digital PR and media relations. You help Ukrainian tech startups get global coverage, and you co-founded the Ukrainian PR army to fight on the information front and keep Ukraine in the spotlight of international media. You have been recognized as a Future is Female award winner and one of the top 25 PR innovators by our friends at Provoke Media. Julia, the latest battle in this horrid war is a public relations battle. There are political members in the United States, Britain and Canada, mostly on the conservative side in each country, all showing waning support for additional funding to Ukraine. There was one Ipsos poll in Canada in February saying about 30% of Canadians now think Ukraine should broker an agreement with Russia and cede territory, give up territory in that agreement. The narrative in the Western public view is shifting. This is a big reason for the PR army. Not only for the PR army, but for the whole country. And unfortunately, when we talk about seizing territories, we are not talking about acres, miles of the land. We are talking about people. We are talking about someone's lives, someone's past, someone's Ah, destiny in some way. You know, in, in this war, I've lost the nearest place to my heart, my grandparents' house near Bakhmut. And um, of course, it can't be compared to the losses of human lives. But I can't imagine how, I, I can't explain how difficult it is and deprivating to get to get deprived of what was so precious to my heart. Uh, this is the place when I got the first bike ride, the first lake swim. My first kiss was near is that near that house, and it's leveled to the ground. No pictures, no memories nothing, no legacy from my grandparents. And this is not a question of some piece of land. It's much more than that. And when we say about seizing territories, we are talking about seizing, seizing someone's life. We are talking about trading someone's lives. And uh, as you know, the invasion was unprovoked. It was not in any possible civilized way justified. Uh, so it's impossible for the aggressor to 
be given what they expect to be given. So it's the question of the border of the line where the aggressor is stopped because he won't stop there. The Tomorrow uh, it will be a, a second anniversary of the full-scale invasion and soon it will be 10th anniversary of the Crimea annexation. So it's not a matter of the some territories that Putin claims to be historic, historically Russian. It's not the matter of some historic justice, as he puts it. Uh, it's a matter where he will be stopped, because otherwise he will go farther. The role of public relations here and founding the PR army, uh, why is that so important? Um, you know... Now I'm constantly getting back to those flashbacks of uh, uh, two years uh, from now of the day when we were awakened by explosions and the sounds of air raid alarm. Uh, and uh, that day changed our lives forever. N no Ukrainian is... Um, having the life as it was before the invasion. And uh, I'm so proud of the level of the Ukrainian professional PR community resilience that literally under the physical threat and uh, with all those uh, airplanes flying over our heads, we managed to unite our efforts and uh, organize the Ukrainian PR army uh, on the very first day of the full-scale invasion. We were completely driven by enthusiasm and adrenaline to give, to contribute somehow to our victory and to contribute to something that would be beneficial for our country. That's why on that very day, on the 24th of February in 2022, we united our efforts, we created a chat when we helped international media to get access to eyewitnesses, to volunteers, to military, to authorities. And I think that uh, our official um, government was uh, just um, attacked by not just by Russians, by uh, tons of requests from international media and PR Army was of big help to provide those services of connecting media with the uh, experts they needed. And uh, after that, we've been operating for two years already. We didn't stop for a day, as um, we know that we are still far from victory and we are still uh, necessary for our country. And I guess this is like unprecedented case of the professional community being united for the big, big Im impactful and meaningful goal. And we have really amazing cases when thanks to some coverage by the PR army, we managed to release people from Russian captivity uh, they are like civilians, some activists, volunteers, 
and they were captivated by the Russian army when, by the way, they occupied some territories. And we are so happy that we are capable to deliver some messages and we are capable to save someone's lives and dignity. And when someone asks themselves in the profession whether I'm doing some meaningful job, whether I do something that the society needs, we don't have those questions in the PR army. We understand pretty well how every effort in our everyday activity uh, can be really, really a matter of someone's life or someone's health or someone's dignity. And we are super proud to be a part of, of the PR army as a professional organization to deal with um, Ukrainian narratives and spreading truth about the events in Ukraine and amplifying Ukrainian voices in the international media. When I go to your website and I see Voices of Freedom, is that what you mean by Voices of Freedom, expressing that Ukrainian narrative? In a way, like all our activities uh, are somehow um, targeted at uh, delivering messages from Ukraine, uh, but Voices of Freedom is actually a digital platform when uh, a media can place their request on the platform and uh, uh, through that platform, Voices of Freedom, one can search for relevant experts, authorities who can comment on a number of uh, topics for the media. Excellent. That sounds like a, a, a fantastic tool. How has artificial intelligence, AI, played a role in the information battle? What a good question. Uh, you know, I guess that uh, the situation that that Russian invasion in Ukraine raises so many questions regarding the world order, regarding the distribution of some political forces or some new narratives. It raises so many questions and it actually challenges that the word order we got used to have and uh, I guess using AI in disinformation detection is another lesson that Ukrainians can teach the world with. Uh, so there are a number of tools that um, appeared after the full-scale invasion as a response to massive information attacks by Russia. And I can name a few like Let's Data and Osovul, uh, which work on the disinformation detection uh, in the information sphere. And it is done with the help of AI. It's properly trained. Uh, unluckily, we have so many... Uh, we have so many examples uh, with uh, for, for AI detection as Russia uh, keeps spreading disinformation and false narratives. So it's very easy for the AI model to be trained. Uh, and uh, now those tools are able to detect cases of disinformation. Let's say uh, the recent narrative that uh, they've been, the Russian side have been distributing 
uh, refers to that insect farming. It's a sustainable way of um, uh, doing farming, yeah, like growing uh, insects and using them for uh, multiple purposes. But Russia puts it as if the whole Europe is starving, that they start eating insects. Uh, And there was uh, like absurd messages uh, in different social media about that insect farming, but they call it that way. They say that uh, uh, Europeans are starving without Russian uh, gas and uh, Russian uh, resources. That's why now uh, you can find worms and bugs uh, in every sausage. So be aware and look on, on the labels on the sausage cautiously as you may find it among the listed ingredients that uh, are uh, containing um, in in some sort of food. Uh, We understand that it's absurd, but a friend of mine uh, said that her mom, who uh, absorbs and um, uh, consumes all the news in Russian, she was seeing her in Latvia. She came to see her and her granddaughter, and she said that You won't believe it, but she was inspecting sausage and looking for insect ingredients in the sausage because her mom uh, was a victim of that disinformation. She read it and she believed that it's true. And uh, unfortunately, Russia plays a big role in demonizing in some way European and American uh, societies uh, just to show how... They are dependent on Russian resources and how uh, liberal they are and uh, how bad it is for the future of the humankind. So AI uh, has uh, a great role in terms of detecting those cases of disinformation. And I believe this is the time for international governments to think about policies, practices, how to adopt AI and to automate the process of uh, disinformation detection. As uh, you may have heard that the um, International Forum in Davos detected misinformation and disinformation among the biggest threats in the coming two years, and they are detected as the main threat for the humankind. So we are here to stress on the importance of that detection and actually prevention. It's not a matter of debunking something. It's uh, much more productive to pre-bunk something. Uh, So think about it. So pre-bunking instead of debunking, and usually it takes less efforts to prevent something rather than, than to quench what is already started. What have been the most successful channels for you of communication and and which are the channels least successful is not the right term, but which are the toughest? Um, I would imagine television news. You mentioned the one um, lady who gets her news and information. She consumes it in Russian. Uh, In that case, she lived in Latvia, but, but you have you know, citizens right within Ukraine who are of Russian heritage, who are watching Russian news. Yeah. Where are you winning the battles and, and where are the have the battles been tougher? 
I guess um, I wouldn't stick. I wouldn't stick to one of the channels. I wouldn't like distinguish even like two, three leading channels. I believe that uh, propaganda is ominous. It's everywhere, and uh, as of now, uh, we see a lot of uh, threats coming from uh, platform X with a new appearance of uh, bots there. Um, uh, they are so professional in, spread in spreading pro-Kremlin messages. Uh, social media, uh, such as Telegram channels, are also a big threat for false narratives. I mean, a big field for spreading false narratives. Uh, and uh, TV, I wouldn't say that the mm, new generation is very addicted to TV. So uh, even Russia, when they tried to occupy new territories of Ukraine, they would uh, hit some TV mm, towers for the first time. But Ukrainians consume more news on social media. That's why it was not a winning strategy. But overall, I believe that Russian propaganda is so deeply rooted that sometimes it doesn't refer only to the um, contemporary events. Sometimes it's deeply rooted in history. Uh, for example, the recent interview uh, was putting for Fox News shows that uh, he is uh, totally lost in his imperialistic views on the history and he's completely wrong on a number of messages about the Ukrainian origin, about denial of Ukraine as a state. And this is, again, a question to historians, to sociologists, to scientists, to academics, uh, whether it's the time for them to rethink um, their approach and to uh, to study the background of Ukraine as well as Russia. Because for a while, uh, Ukraine was not identified as a separate state. And it's a big question of self-identification and of uh, Ukrainian identity as it is. Uh, that's why I believe this is like a big, big question for the academics as well. Not like having to deal with the contemporary disinformation, but the one which was spread in historic books as well. Julia, last question. I'm a big believer with communications. It's, it's just not enough for us to be informed. Great if you're informed, but it has to be a call to action. What can our listeners do? I would start with the first step. Go and find Ukrainian PR army on social media and uh, feel free to outreach and ask for, uh, fill out, you can reach out to social media channels of the PR army and ask which help is needed. Sometimes you can donate factual money 
You can donate expertise. You can connect, donate your network. You can donate your knowledge. You can donate your mm, perception. You can donate your mindset. And we are very open to get connected with the professional communications communities all over the world to amplify the messages and to amplify the narratives that we are spreading. Unfortunately, we do witness media fatigue in the world. And for someone, it's just a part of the agenda. But for us, it's a matter of our existence. If our kids will be born, if our grandchildren will be born, if someone will be Ukrainian, if someone will speak Ukrainian, because for Russia, it's never a question of just borders. It's a question of extinguishing Ukraine as a nation. I love that you've you've taken your profession, which I know as someone in it is more than a profession. It becomes a philosophical and spiritual belief that communications can change the world. I honestly believe that. I love, Julia, that now I've met someone who is genuinely doing it through their profession. What an honor to meet and to talk with you. Thank you. Likewise, Doug. Thank you so much for everything that you do for Com's profession. Diakyu. Did I say that right? Almost. <laughs> Dakuyu, yes. Dakuyu. Yes. Thank you. I'll, I will get it. If you'd like to send a message to my guest, Julia Petrick, we've got her contact information and the PR Army's contact information in the show notes. Please do. Stories and Strategies is a co-production of JGR Communications and Stories and Strategies podcast. If you like this episode, I hope you take a moment to visit the PR Army website. There's a direct link in the show notes. Thanks for listening.